well, every interview is special, but I think this one's extra special. We've got Lila Davutkai. She is in graduate school at Oakland University right now, and she's the current reigning champion. She will, when it's all said and done, she will have studied abroad five times, so more than anyone that's been on the podcast. You can look at the show at the post to see what's going on. I'm not gonna. I don't think it really needs an introduction, but four times so far in the fifth and on, on the way, I think that's enough to listen to this interview. It's uh, it's really interesting and it's different. It's unique. It definitely is. All right, thanks, guys. The three biggest reasons only 10% of students study abroad. They're afraid of being homesick, they don't think it's safe, and the number one reason people don't study abroad is cost. We're here to dispel all that, find out exactly how that 10% crafted their study abroad journey, and how you can too. I'm Chris Carlton, and this is the Study Abroadcast. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Study Abroadcast. Here with Lila Davutkai from <laughs> Oakland University. Lila, thank you very much for being here. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. I've actually been listening to uh, backlogs of your podcast all day today. So. Oh, in preparation. Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs> trying to, so trying to so get a feel for the show. Right. Hopefully. I'm doing my research. Well, yeah. So we've actually we've actually had a string of firsts. I mean, I just interviewed. Uh, my first girl that studied and interned in South Africa. She was the interview before you. Uh, I interviewed my yeah, first... Yeah, she went to Namibia, right? Yep, yeah, just today. And then I interviewed my first, like, blogger, travel blogger, who's been, like, everywhere, and I haven't posted that one yet. And then there's you now. Lila has <laughs> studied abroad um, four times, and she's been to two different places in those four times. And, like I said, it's a episode of firsts. She's been to India... And she's also been to Israel. So she's going to tell us a little bit about that. And like, you know, she's been, she knows that I'm really big on anytime I get someone that's gone for a year or gone multiple times, I think it's great in terms of inspiring people to study abroad that are thinking about maybe going for a summer. And they hear someone like Lila, who has done it so many times and they, you know, they hear you and they think, well, if she's done it four times. I can probably dip my toe in the pool and, and do it once. So Lila, with that said, tell me about just getting into it. Your first experience, what made you decide to, to take the leap and study abroad and, and let's go from there? Um, I think I've always been really in love with travel. Like um, when I was a kid, my first big travel experience was um, my uncle married a Japanese woman. So we all went to Japan for the wedding and I was probably like one and a half at that point. And um, before I was born, my mother was in the Air Force and she did a lot of travel internationally for her job with them. And my favorite part of my childhood was just like flipping through all of her photo albums of different places in the world and just like dreaming of going there one day. And um, when I got into high school, I actually had a friend come up to me and she was complaining about our guidance counselor and how she had the nerve to invite her to go on exchange because she was going to get married and she didn't want to go on an exchange and she felt like the teacher was trying to pressure her out of her marriage. And I like ran to her office after the conversation and I was like breathless, like, I want the exchange. I want the exchange. Please give it to me. My friend doesn't want it. I do. And from there, I did this whole program with Rotary International and you don't actually get to pick the country you go to exactly. What you do is um, you go to like this country fair 
and all of the eligible places that you can exchange to are represented and you can get information, but some of them you're not allowed to go to based on like your age or what language you speak. Um, I couldn't go to any Spanish-speaking countries, for example, because I didn't take Spanish. I couldn't go to, um, I think, a few Asian countries because I was too old, um, things like that. But you end up making a list of the countries that you are eligible to go to, like ranked one through however many you're eligible for. I think I was for 32, so I had like one through 32. And someone told me, you know, if you put India in your top five, you're going to get it. And I was like, I mean, I'd be interested in going to India because I've never been and it's always been a place that's interested me. And uh, I got it and I went to India and it was a very, very interesting year. But then immediately when I came back from that, um, I started studying Judaic studies because my family is ancestrally Jewish. But I didn't really know anything about that because we had stopped practicing like a few generations back. Kind of wanted to touch base with that. And I had a professor just come in and give a guest lecture about the um, Israeli exchange. And I just I had to do it. And I did three times. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, yeah. And the rest is history, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, OK, so you, you mentioned so you said for that year. So when you went to India, did you go for a year or how long were you there? I, I went for exactly 300 days, um, oh my. so close, so that's like an, close to yeah, a year. Yeah, that's like, the, yeah, that's, well, that's even longer than an academic year. Like, the students I've talked yeah. to that are in a year, they say it's an academic year, so. Um, no, I was there for a year-ish. <laughs> did you did you come home in between, like, for winter break or anything? No, no, I didn't come home at all. I was there the whole time. And where, where in India were you? I was in Gujarat, which is um, the state where Gandhi's from. It's in the northwest of India near Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was in a city called Surat, which is like, it's called the diamond capital of India because it's where all of the diamond merchants set up shop. Right. And then, okay, so so then you, so you got India, okay? Yeah, so and you And you were there for a year. Now, tell mm-hmm. me about, and then we'll get into Israel after India. Okay. Uh, tell me about life in India. I mean, what's it what's it like? We were just talking. I mean, we just mentioned the last interview, and we were talking about preconceived notions of going to Africa, and it's what yeah. we've seen in in films, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. know, like Indiana Jones or Blood Diamond. I don't know what, but there's yeah. even le- there's less about India. Again, it's Indiana Jones, but I I'm just saying, like, what? So what was it like living there? Is tell me about it. Um, it was really. I don't know how else to describe it except to say interesting because India, you know, we tend to think of it as like this monolith of culture. Like everybody's Hindu, everyone does Bollywood, everyone eats curry. It's not like that at all. There's so much diversity in India and everybody's different and there's no like set way of life. And it was interesting for me because I did get to travel the entire western coast of India, like from the southernmost point up into the Himalayas and Dharamsala, where all of the Tibetan refugees are. So I got to see, you know, so much of the west coast of the country and I got to meet so many people. And it was like, oh, there's really no like one way that India is because India is just so many things. Right. Um, And... Tell me, so now that we're on India, can you tell me about, did you go, when you were in that part of the world, did you go anywhere else? Did you go outside of India, like in Asia? No, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't allowed to leave the country, but I did get to travel like all over 
all over India and see. Yeah, it's kind of like traveling to a different because, like, in the south, it's big, um, yeah. there's a state. Yeah, there's a state called Kerala that's got like a communist government, so it's really interesting to see that. And then we went to Kanyakumari, which is the southernmost point, and Goa, and it's like, you know, a beach resort. And then you go the opposite direction and you go into the north, and there are so many, you know, Tibetans there, and the food is different, and the weather is different. And, you know, I didn't, I packed for what I thought India would be like, which was a really bad idea for when we went up into the north because it was winter and it was freezing and there was snow, and I'm wearing sandals and capris, and I, uh. <laughs> I was really cold. Yeah, I know. I think that falls under the category of the travel story question. That's yeah, I'm sorry. Um, and then so so and then jumping back to Rotary International, you mentioned like the process of the selection. Can you? I've never heard of Rotary International before. So is it something any student can apply to and sign up for? And is there financial aid available for it? Like, tell me a little bit about a little bit more about that program. See, you caught me at a bad time because that exchange is like eight years in the past and I don't really know much about it. But from what I I know of, um, it's hosted by local Rotary clubs. So like the Rotary Club was, um, they're like a club of philanthropists. They help to donate a lot of money to eradicate polio. Like that's their big thing. But they also do um, international exchanges for students where um, the students will like swap clubs and like my city i think got a student from the club that i was in in india and um i got to go live there and stay with host club members in their houses and i stayed with five different families um i do think that financial support is available for the students um but i did a lot of like bake sales and stuff to help Mm -hmm. pay for it oh but i don't think it was very expensive so, so more or less, it's an organization that faci- that well, Rotary Club. I it's an organization that faci- facilitates international exchange. Would that be yeah safe? Okay. Yeah, All that right. would be the. <laughs> and then it does um, it does a lot more, but that's like one of their things. Sorry. Yeah. To cut you and off. then what what year? Like, how old were you when you went for your first time? So it was um, 2010, and I stayed through 2011, and I was 17, and I had my 18th birthday there. Okay, and, so you were in high school when you went. I actually had graduated high school. Um, I was a little bit ahead, so I just took like a gap year. <laughs> okay, but but you were still like taking classes, is that right? Um, well, this is I'm I'm not supposed to talk about this, but I'm going to anyway because it's so far in the past. I was actually in school in India for a grand total of three days. Um, I had to be officially registered as a student in order for my visa to go through, but um, they put me in the equivalent of like middle school and I ended up teaching class for two days and then, you know, going to my host family and saying like, this is insane. I came here to learn. Like, I don't, I don't want to teach the classes. I don't know what to do. And they just pulled me out of school. And from that point, I enrolled in online college classes. And I took, like, dance lessons and cooking classes. And I learned how to do um, traditional henna. And I got to travel a lot. And that was what I did instead of going to school. So so you still took classes, just not, like, yeah, I still Yeah, I still did stuff. I just right. didn't do. And I also, I also took language classes. So I, they, um, I tried to learn Hindi when I was in America. Yeah. But um, in Gujarat, they don't really speak Hindi. Speak language, and I didn't know any, so I had to learn. Yeah. Well, okay. And then, you, so you mentioned your host family. What was your living arrangement like? 
there? So um, I stayed with five different families for the right. whole time I was there. Um, it was basically just like I was an extra member of the family. Um, I had I did like a lot of shared bed kind of stuff with like the daughters of the family who were like close to my age. Um, at like it was very diverse with you know five different families. They all had like five different income levels. And you know at one point I was living in like a two bedroom apartment where we didn't have running water or electricity for most of the day, and I had to take bucket showers. Mm-hmm. And then with another family, I was basically living in like a palace with you know servants and stuff like that so it was really there was no sort of uniformity it was just very different in every situation oh man and then and then now it's so so this is my like you've listened to a few episodes now tell me about the indian food i love i love a good indian buffet i've never i can't i don't i've never heard of anyone going for dinner though like i just like it's the buffet to me but uh, that's just like my take on american indian food um, yeah. but yeah, so tell me about, tell me about the food there though. Uh, I think my biggest like love of Indian food comes from Indian street food. Um, there's this food there, it's called Pani Puri and, um, Pani is water and Puri is bread. And what it is, is like, it's this little puff bread pocket that's been deep fried and you crack it open and you fill it with like potatoes and chickpeas that have been salted and spiced. Mm -hmm. And then you dunk it in this like flavored water and it comes in like a couple different flavors. There's like the sweet and sour, there's like the sweet and spicy, there's just the spicy, you know, there's a whole bunch. really good, yeah. There was um, a Panipuri stand like a couple blocks away from my house. So I would go out with like 10 rupees, which is like less than a dollar and pay for all you can eat Panipuri. And that was just like my my favorite thing. The other thing is like the fruit in India is just to die for. Like they have this thing there called a custard apple and it it literally tastes like custard. It's like my favorite fruit in the world and I've never been able to find it in America. And my heart is just a little bit broken. So it's a, it's like a legit apple, but it tastes like a custard. No, it's got like, it tastes like custard, but it's got like these little black seeds that are covered in like a gooey sort of pod. Mm-hmm. And the, the seed pods are the things that you eat, like the gooey stuff and it tastes like custard and it's amazing. Wow. All right. Well, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> India for you. I, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm gonna have to take a second to process that. Um, anywhere okay so so now so you get back right and we've kind of got like a little um chronology of Leela going on here you get back and you decide what made you want to go to israel now i think the big thing that made me want to go to israel was just like my family is ancestrally jewish and i found out i found out that my family was ancestrally jewish when i was like probably 15 Mm -hmm. and it kind of shocked me because it was like, you know, there's this whole big history that my family has that I knew nothing about. And from that time on, I, in my free time, I, I just researched Judaism and Jewish history. And when I got into university, I started taking classes in Judaic studies as my minor. And um, I had a professor come in and give a guest lecture in an anthropology class I was taking. And he was saying, you know, we do archaeology in Israel, and if you want to come, it's very generously funded, and it's not very expensive, and it's three weeks, and it's a great opportunity. And I was just so interested. I took all of the classes that that, that professor offers. I think he's got like eight classes that he teaches, and I've taken them all. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just decided, like, I, I want to go to Israel, and I went on the exchange, and it was very interesting. 
Awesome. Yeah. Um, and now, so did you do the same program, like the same deal every time you went? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did the same program with the archaeology three separate times. Okay, and this is like a sister school you have through Oakland University? or, or Yeah, how, so okay. it's, um, it's Oakland University in partnership with Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And Hebrew University in Jerusalem has been doing archaeological digs um, in search of King David and like evidence of, you know, the biblical chronology of King David for years and years now. And they partnered up with Oakland University where I go. And they do this exchange where they'll do a field school where they'll take students to Israel and teach them how to do an archaeological dig. And like, we have a drone, we learn how to take measurements and how to set up a square and how to properly excavate. And in Israel, like, it's impossible not to find artifacts. So you get like very instant gratification. Like, I've done field school, I've done field school in Michigan. And you have all of the history of this land in about three to five feet of dirt. But in Israel, what happens is um, in ancient Israel, they would build cities and then collapse the city over the course of a couple hundred thousand years and then build another city on top of it. So the, where you get the word Tel, it means hill. So Tel Aviv just means spring hill. So all of these little like man-made mountains or Tels are just full of layer cakes of civilization. So it's wonderful and awesome. Yeah, that's that's so true. Like, oh, how was your trip into work? Uh, nothing. I found another ancient scroll. Had to call. Yeah, the you're like again. you're you're literally <laughs> like tripping over pottery there. Yeah, I, I didn't even ask then. So so all this awesome archaeological and scientific stuff. What did, what was what did your major? What was your major for undergrad? Um, my major was um, archaeology and anthropology. It was like a dual major. And then my minor was Judaic studies. So it partnered really nicely with my being able to do the exchange. Uh-huh. Okay. So in, so now with these, these trips, I just want to hear more about Israel. We get we get that you went three times and we're all jealous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what was I going to say? Um, tell me about where, tell me about Israel, like, where all did you go? Did you live in a different place or you went to the same university every time? Uh, did you travel around Israel? Tell me about different, I mean, adventures in Israel. I actually, this is kind of embarrassing, but I've never actually been to Hebrew University because we never needed to because um, the way that the dig works is that we stay at a kibbutz that's within driving distance in a bus so like we have a group of 15 students so we stay at a kibbutz <laughs> and this has happened we, like this is the second time like oh yeah i went to india but i didn't end up taking any classes oh, i did israel but i didn't end up going to the university i love it well right. i mean we there are there are some classes like mostly the classes that you have to take are prerequisites but once you're there you like they, they do lectures every night at the kibbutz like there are people who are doctors that like people who have been on national geographic will show up and give a lecture and you take notes and you're all starry eyed and you ask them to sign your notebook cause you don't have anything better. And it's great. But so we, we stay at the kibbutz, which is usually within driving range of the site. And I've worked at three different sites. And so we get on the bus at like 4am and drive to the site and dig until noon and then we go back to the kibbutz and then 
sleep because you're exhausted because you're doing gratuitous manual labor. And then you wake up and you do what's called pottery wash and pottery read where you get like throughout the day you accumulate so much pottery and it needs to be cleaned because you don't know if it's painted, you don't know if it's got an inscription, you don't know what it's going on, what it's from. Right. So you have to clean it so they can tell like, oh, this is an Iron Age piece, this is a Persian piece, this is a Roman piece. So after that, you have some downtime and then dinner and then lecture mm-hmm. and then go to bed and do it all. But on the weekends, we would go on like little mini vacations. We've gone to um, Masada, the Dead Sea, where else? Uh, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, a city called Caesarea, which is my favorite place in the world. Um, Why? Where else? Um, Caesarea, because um, King I did a report on it actually as part of the exchange, but Caesarea is where um, King Herod built, uh, he built a a harbor because, you know, Israel's coastline is so very flat and it's not great for docking ships. So he used a lot of Roman technology to just build an artificial harbor and you can scuba dive and see the remains of the harbor and you can go in his like the remains of his castle and you can see where his swimming pool was and the mosaic floor is still there and it's just like this beautiful little seaside town and you can just like run around in this Roman amphitheater and I went into this bathhouse and it was just so cool and I I absolutely loved it it was like a fairy tale (laughs) Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to search some of these places. And w- so what um, did you – so we're kind of – we're right in Israel right now. And I just want to ask, so what city did you reside in? Did you reside in the same city the, every each time you went, or were you in a different city? I was in a different city every time. Like, honestly, I don't even remember the names of a lot of the like the cities that I was staying because it was just like a little kibbutz, which for, for this – don't, don't think of like a farm kibbutz. Think of like just a little concrete housing unit where they'll rent out space to tourists. Like that's right. all of the kibbutzes. But, that, they weren't like beautiful lush gardens. So I don't I don't <laughs> actually know the names of the cities that I was in because they're just like tiny little nothing cities where there isn't even like a grocery store. Um, and then did you – so what were the living arrangements like when you were there? Um, so on the kibbutz, we had shared rooms and for all of the exchanges, we had shared rooms and it was usually like, um, I think at one point I was just with like one other person on my second exchange, but I've had like five people in a room. So very shared space. And, you know, it gets interesting because you are doing manual labor and you're digging in the dirt and you come home and you're filthy and there's mud and dirt and sweat and you just everyone wants a shower and there's only ever one shower for all of these people and it's kind of like a you know who can eat fastest so we can get to the shower yeah, duel to the death because then yeah and then you're you don't want to be stuck being last Ugh. Oh, okay. yeah um and then did you did you pick up as far as languages do, can, do you know hebrew at all um, I know a little bit of Hebrew. Like I've, I studied Hebrew in America, but when I was there, like I didn't really do any work with anyone who only spoke Hebrew. So everyone, like everybody, speaks English. And the phrase that I most commonly use when I'm traveling in Israel is ivrit, which means I don't speak Hebrew or I don't understand Hebrew is a better translation. And I, I think I've probably used that a lot, and then everyone will be like, "Oh, Anglit, oh English, and yes, Ken," and then mm-hmm. we just go in English, and it's that's been the handiest. <laughs> that's that's funny that you say that. Yeah, that's 
saying you don't speak a language in the language. I always yeah. thought that's cute. Uh, well, I think, like, I kind of, I, I look like I blend in. Like, I've had people in Jerusalem come up to me and ask me for directions. Mm-hmm. And I've just been, like, profoundly unable to oblige. Because, like, I'm a tourist exactly like you are. I don't live here, so. Right. And um, so, and then as far as uh, financial aid went for this one, did you, were you able to p- apply for anything or receive anything on, on the trips? One or all of I them? I didn't actually, I didn't need to for any of the Israel trips because they're very, very generously funded by donors from the community. And... I think I only had to pay like a little over a thousand dollars, which is insane as far as you know exchanges you, go. So, like, so I know there's the whole birthright thing. Do you have to be mm-hmm. Jewish to go to on these things? You do have to be Jewish. Oh no, I mean, I'm sorry. This is not a birthright thing. Right. Like this is very much not. In order to do the birthright trips, you do have to be yeah, Jewish. No, I know, I know but that. For but for this, for yeah. this exchange, you do not have to be Jewish. I think actually. Like, I'm on all but one of the trips, I was the only Jewish person besides my professor. Right. Okay. And I'm not even, like, a proper Jew. I'm just, like, <laughs> ancestrally Jewish. I have, like, a vague connection to it. And so was, were you with all other Oakland University students, or were there students from all over the country or the world? So our group is just Oakland University, but... Um, Hebrew University sometimes invites other universities to come in. Like, um, there was a Seventh-day Adventist college that came, and I think uh, Virginia Tech or Virginia Commonwealth, I can't remember which one, they also came. And then sometimes they have students who do um, work from, like, Haifa or Tel Aviv. Students from those universities will come in. But usually it's just, like, American students who are being led by Israeli archaeologists who are working with Hebrew University. Okay. So, I do actually. I have like one friend who came from Australia, and she was really cool. But she was through Haifa University. Sorry, right. I cut you off. Now, amongst all this, all these digs and everything, and you in your mini vacations, is there a a certain story that you want to tell that stuck out, or something funny or completely wrong that happened? Um, I think my most recent trip um, was probably like the best in terms of just like. Not necessarily crazy stuff, but, like, the most memorable thing. So I have this um, long-running joke, I guess, on myself. Because the, the first two times I was in Israel, I ended up having to go to the hospital. The first time I developed um, bronchitis. And it was probably because of, like, the airplane and all of the compressed air you're breathing and all of the archaeological stuff. And you're getting dust in your lungs. And I just got so sick. And I had to go to the hospital and go on meds, and it was just like, it ruined the last week of my exchange. Mm-hmm. And I fell off the tell, and that's very dangerous because, you know, it's a mountain, and it could have been fatal, but I was very lucky because, you know, I didn't die, but I did sprain the ever-living heck out of my ankle, and I couldn't walk for the last two weeks of the exchange. So I was stuck back at the kibbutz and I ended up just washing pottery and bones the whole time. So on my third exchange, I was like, I will not go to an Israeli hospital with God as my witness. And I didn't. I managed to stay out of the hospital the entire time. Yeah. And I just thought that was like hilarious that I was able to just not maim myself. Right. No, definitely. (laughs) Uh... I think the, the last 
the last couple days we were in Jerusalem for the, the third most recent exchange, I was with, like, I was hanging out with two of the friends that I had made, and we were going to go see, as a group, another church. And I, I looked at my two friends, and I was like, guys, do we really need to see another church? Like, really? So we just peeled off from the group, and we were wandering around the old city. And I was like, you know, I've been to Israel three times, and I have never been to the Dome of the Rock. Let's go to the Dome of the Rock. Let's just go. Let's go to the Dome of the Rock. And we went up to the Dome of the Rock, and it was absolutely beautiful. My male friend had to wear a skirt because you're not allowed to wear shorts, and you have to cover up. So they have skirts for both men and women. And we got to wander around. And we couldn't go in, obviously, because we're not Muslim. But it's beautiful, and it's scenic, and I got to hear the call to prayer. And, you know, the space up there is, like, the most peaceful part of Jerusalem. And it was just incredible that I had the opportunity to go there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and okay, this is and now let's get into any anything else about Israel that jumps off your head, or can I get into the the food part of it? Because I know that's um, a big part of the culture too. I think like one other thing that like really jumps out at me about Israel is that when I was there in 2014, um, they were bombing the area where we we were in. We were really really close to the West Bank, and things got a little explodey and we had to spend like a lot of time in bomb shelters and it's really interesting to me that the Israelis are so chill about hanging out in bomb shelters and like air raid sirens because for them it's become normal and for me it was like full-on panic attack when I hear it going off at three in the morning I'm like oh god we're all gonna die but they're just like no no bring a cigarette and some snacks we'll play cards in the bunker yeah it's like finding a scroll don't worry about it yeah don't worry (laughs) about it they're so chill about it it's really interesting Uh uh-huh wow okay well i don't know if that's good or bad (laughs) it's interesting let's leave it at that um and now so was there is there any food that you missed like something that you don't like you wish you could go down the street and get that you can't now or Um, there's kind of like two things. The first thing is, um, knafe. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sure my Israeli friends would like slap me, but it's like a cheesy pastry dessert and it's like hot melted cheese with like shredded phyllo dough on top. And it's like Mm. crunchy and cheesy and sweet and it's really great. I love it. And the other thing is like Israeli salads, like Israelis are so on point with their salad game. Like, you know, in America, I feel like salads are just like, oh, it's, you know, cob. There's, like, bacon and stuff. But in Israel, there's, like, vinaigrettes and herbs and spices and beets that are used in interesting and creative ways. And, like, they do salad in so many variations that I don't feel like I could ever get bored of just eating all of the different types of salad that they do. Right. Um, Okay. So, yeah, I think, like, I know chopped salad is big with them. You can get your salad chopped. Um, is it? Am I right about that? I don't know, cause okay. like most most of everything is just like vegetables that have been marinated with like lettuce thrown in, and it's like it's the marinades and the spices and like nuts and fruits and stuff that really make things interesting. Right, and so now, so since you've returned, like, so tell me about life after. So you graduated, and then what happened after you finished undergrad? What what got you I'm to actually, this point? I'm a graduate student right now. Right. Okay. So now and, um, back for archaeology more. 
No, I'm um, I'm doing um, linguistics with a specialization in teaching English as a second language, and I'm actually going on exchange to uh, Chinchuan University in China this summer. Well, here we go again, huh? Here we go. Yes, I will never stop. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm gonna have to. Yeah. Are you on Instagram or anything like that? I am on Instagram, but I okay. don't really use it for like okay. any. Like sometimes I'll post pictures of myself doing cute things, but like I um it's before like I went it. to Israel, no, I don't really use it. I just I I um when I went to Israel like last summer, I had actually just gotten back from a two week trip to Japan. I went to visit my uncle who still lives there, mm-hmm. and I went with my mom and my aunt and my cousin. And I think the only picture I posted of my whole trip in Tokyo was like a picture of the store that I found that was like just chinchilla supplies. Uh-huh. And I thought that was so interesting more so than anything else. Like there's just this whole beautiful boutique of chinchilla supplies. Really? Who does that? Oh, man. Uh, I'm yeah, bad I, at Instagram. Well, I mean like I'm thinking about like dogs, like dogs, like chinchillas though. Okay. Um, and do you have any book recommendations? Um, I think for me, I really like to get a book that's set in the place where I'm traveling or I'm going to travel. That's so, like, good advice, um, yeah. Last time, well, I, I just think it's interesting. Like when I, I traveled to Sweden and I got a book that was set in, um, the, I can't remember what it was, it was so long ago, but it was set in the city that I was staying in. And the last time I went to Israel, I got this book called The Lemon Tree, and it was about the Arab-Israeli conflict. And it was really interesting to be, you know, like in the place where this is happening, and I'm so close to the West Bank, and it's like, you know, it gives two different perspectives on the Arab-Israeli conflict, but it's also, you know, the writing is just picturesque and beautiful. And I really like to do that whenever I travel, just like find a book that's set in the place where I'm going. No, no, yeah, that's that's really good advice, Lila. And any any recommendations as far as like an app or, or blog or even a podcast that you listen to or anything like that? Um, I think I I really like short fiction podcasts. Th- okay. This isn't like travel related. No, it, yeah, it's fine. It's necessary, but I I do like I like short fiction podcasts. Like I listen to um Podcastle and Drabblecast, um the Dune Steve audio fiction magazine, things like that. Okay. And I really, I like those because it's like, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes an hour of just like a short story. And, you know, they're really interesting and fun and it makes train rides that would otherwise be really boring oh God, interesting, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's what I like. Okay. There's actually, yeah, one of the, or plane rides too. There's one of the services that's it's linked on my site that you can download the podcast before like without so you can listen to it if you don't have wi-fi or even whatever 4g or 5g or whatever they have now so and then yeah so and then finally i guess what would you tell a student who's on the bubble about studying abroad or thinking about it what would your advice be um my advice would just be to do it and also to write about it and take lots of pictures like you you're never going to regret travel i don't think i i feel like it's you know, always going to be the most valuable educational experience that you can ever get is just going out and meeting people and seeing the world and gaining new perspective. Like India really 
showed me, you know, like how much is going on in the world and it introduced me to some amazing people. In Israel, it's done the same thing. It's just broadened my horizons so much. And you won't regret it if you go, but you know, you might regret it if you don't. Like I, I had a failed exchange to Ghana because I developed um, pneumonia and I couldn't go and I still regret it. Right. Like, yeah. I couldn't go for medical reasons, but I still wish I had been well enough because, oh man, Ghana. Yep. Uh, yeah, and then that's um, that's great advice. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And it does broaden your horizons. And I know, yeah, I sound like a broken record, but yeah, uh, listen to Leela, everyone. <laughs> and do you have a do you have a quote you want to share? Um, I think my favorite quote is probably travel related, but it's from Robert Louis Stevenson, and he said. Um, I travel not to go anywhere but to go. Travel for the sake of travel. The great affair is to move. And that's sort of like how I live my life. Mm-hmm. Just just go. Just get out and go. Also write about it and take pictures because you will miss them if you don't. So, yeah. So, I mean, I guess your time as an archaeologist has bled through. Like, scientists record and measure everything. So... Yeah, when you're when you're doing the dig, you have to you have to write down everything. But I think you know, going through like the notes that I took, you know, I journal and I journaled every day in India. Mm -hmm. But to be able to go back and be like, oh, today, you know, that's what I was thinking, and oh, that's the day I found this really cool artifact, and that's you know, that's what this happened, and this is food. Oh my gosh, this place! But it's great to be able to have a record of that for yourself. No, definitely. All right. Well. that's yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I'm gonna take. I learn something new for every episode. So, and I've been wanting to record just like my daily workings of the podcast. So I'm I'm gonna start doing that. Good, um, good for you. Go for it. Yeah, you guys give us an honest review of the show. As always, let me know how I'm doing. Connect on social media. Leave questions or comments in the comments sections for the post. Um, Leela, thank you very much for being here, for doing this, for taking the time. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. All right.